Hey kids, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast you're going to love. On behalf of myself, Morgan Rector, of one of the most horrific true crime podcasts, Human Monsters, I'd like to ask you this question. Do you like to travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Fun fact, there is a morgue on every cruise ship. After all, people die everywhere. Why wouldn't they die on a cruise ship in the Bahamas? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. Murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband, and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and what-the-fuck stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway, and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Hi all, thank you for listening to Human Monsters. I also want to thank those of you who donate to the Patreon account. There will be more rewards coming down the pipe, such as giveaways. From now on, every week, a winner will be drawn from the Patreon pool and will receive a psychic reading from me online. I am a card reader and astrologer, and I will do a reading for you online, should your name be chosen. Once again, the Patreon link is www.patreon.com slash leader1 www.patreon.com slash l-e-a-d-e-r-o-n-e Thank you and enjoy the show. Find you. 
This goes out to this month's Patreon winner, Catherine. Thank you for supporting the show. Margaret Atwood once wrote, A divorce is like an amputation. You survive it, but there's less of you. It is unknown if Maquan, Wisconsin resident Stephen Tratner ever read that quote. If he had, he expressed the underlying sentiment in the most literal way imaginable. Tratner was married to Sin Lamb. He would make a widower of himself when she asked for a divorce. Normally, the acrimony of the divorce process is mediated and exacerbated by attorneys and judges, with bitterness and broken hearts as the long-term outcome. Tratner versus Lamb never made it that far. But first, some background. To outside parties, Stephen Tratner came across as quiet and composed. He rarely so much as raised his voice. They never saw him in a rage. He was highly regarded, considered by most to be a model husband and father. He was helpful to his neighbors and volunteered at his son's school. Sin was remembered on the same terms. According to her nearest and dearest, she was generous, open, always smiling, and rarely had a scathing word to say about anyone. The marriage of Stephen Tradner and Sin Lam struck most as an example of a marriage that works, a marriage that was fully functional and beneficial to both parties. When news of the horror of how their marriage ended spread, it came as a shock to everybody they knew. Well, almost everybody. Sin had a few close confidants, among them her sister Lai Nimi. Lai wasn't entirely surprised to find out the marriage ended in a grisly fashion. According to Nimi, Stephen was emotionally abusive towards Sin to the point where it took a toll on her psychologically. His cruel words and behavior destroyed her self-esteem. This behavior became worse as his vocational and financial prospects were destabilized as he sought comfort in alcohol. To quote Nimi, he knew she was going to ask for a divorce. It wasn't the first time Sin broached the subject. Five years before the date of her demise, she warned him that she would leave him and issued similar threats subsequently. Both Sin and Stephen accepted that the marriage was in shambles and that divorce was the only suitable outcome for them both. He persuaded her to wait until after Christmas to initiate the legal proceedings. Nimi was concerned about Sin's safety. To quote Nimi, I told her to be careful because you don't know how he will respond. Sin gave Stephen a timetable. She wanted to begin the process of divorce on January 9th. A lawyer named Shaila Yel Reddy, who was personally acquainted with Sin, said he could no longer stop her. He could not talk her out of it and he could no longer control his rage. Reddy recommended a divorce lawyer she knew. Reddy knew their marriage was on the rocks for some time, about five years to be exact. Part of it she told me, part of it I observed. You have to understand, Sin was someone who never said anything negative about anybody, not even her husband. Five years before Sin's death, she told Reddy that her marital woes were partially caused by emotional disengagement on her behalf. Reddy said, 
Her heart wasn't in it, and she felt no affection for him anymore. She tried to make it work for the kids. She had begun to believe that anything of hers was of no consequence. She couldn't do anything right. She wasn't a good enough mother. Her foreignness made her unsuitable as a mother. It was psychological and emotional abuse, although Sin wouldn't phrase it that way. Nimi spoke on Stephen's private and public personas. He's composed in front of other people. At home, he is not. Among the many issues that vexed and distressed Sin was the fact that Stephen quit his lucrative job as a software programmer ten years before her death to pursue a career of developing golf courses. He had even become part-time project manager for Aaron Hill's golf course in Washington County. The pay was comparably diminutive to what he had been making as a software programmer and was also not as stable. This put Lynn in the position of primary breadwinner, a source of considerable frustration for her. He also became frequently depressed, leading to his addiction to alcohol, which only catalyzed his condition further. The first time Sin ever complained to Reddy was when she groused about his problem drinking. Stephen accepted the terms of their separation, but did not allow it to go unavenged. When Sin made it clear that the divorce was guaranteed and final this time around, Stephen flew into a rage. He threw her against some kitchen cabinets. He slammed her head on the door between ten and twenty times. He punched her in the face several times. He finished her off by strangling her until she became inanimate. According to police, Tratner said he strangled her because, quote, her persistence about a divorce and breaking up their family drove him to the point where he did what he did. Sin was 36 years old. Once Sin was dead, Stephen went to bed. He slept until 7 a.m. When he woke, he roused their children out of bed and got them ready for school. He told them not to disturb their mother. She was spread out over the living room floor under a blanket. Tratner ran some errands and had lunch with an acquaintance. He called the police at 1 p.m. He called the police at 1 p.m. because he feared he would have been arrested if he called them immediately after her death. Nimi believes alcohol was a significant factor in the homicide. That theory was disputed by Maquan police detective Rick Schnell. To convince those present at his trial of his remorse, contrived or not, he made this statement. I've been in jail for nine months. Every day I've been in jail is the same as every other day. I can't even socialize with the other inmates. I just sit in my cell all day long. I wake up in the morning and think of how unfair it is that I am alive. When I do my exercise, I think of how it's not fair that sin can't rollerblade or do yoga. I want everyone to know my sorrow and regret. Tratner submitted a plea of no contest. He was found guilty of first-degree murder on January 4, 2006. He was sentenced to 35 years in prison. He was slapped with an additional 10 years of extended supervision. He would be allowed to have visits with his children if their therapist 
and Tratner's doctor or agent agreed that it would be appropriate. County Circuit Court Judge Tom R. Wolfgram said of Tratner's kids, I hope these children are resilient. My hope is that the passage of time will help. He commented on the sentence Tratner received. I'm concerned of the need to protect the public. I'm concerned for his lack of remorse. Anything less than a substantial amount of time would not be enough. Sin's death left a hole in Lainimi's life. To quote lie from her victim impact statement at the trial, My sister was a loving mother, a good daughter, and a great friend to many people. My sister was the only family I had in this country. I missed talking to her and planning vacations with her. I even missed fighting with her knowing at the end of the day we can still love one another. We talked about planning our retirements together, but now all I can think about is how she died, how he put his hands around her neck and squeezed and squeezed and squeezed until she died. This is not a crime of passion where he found his wife cheating and shot her in the head. He killed her a week before she was going to move out. He walked past his dead wife and went to bed without remorse. This is premeditated. He sits here today looking contrite. My sister doesn't get to sit here and tell her side of the story. He is proven to be an abuser and a murderer. He doesn't deserve to be a father. Tradner and his attorney, Michael J. Fitzgerald, came at the case from a different angle. Fitzgerald asked for a reduced sentence of 10 to 15 years. Tratner was examined by psychiatrists and found that he didn't have, quote, an outlet for his negative feelings. To quote Fitzgerald, Sin talked about divorce, but he kept it in for a long time. I believe, as the doctors do, that something triggered Steve to do what he did. He has never done well with conflict, and it built up inside of him, and he lost control. Something happened in that argument that was entirely foreign to him. This happened all so fast. I don't think he wanted to believe that he had just killed his wife. He couldn't from a psychological level. I don't think his mind fully grasped what happened. He is a pacifist. This is a person who doesn't kill a chipmunk in his backyard. Ozaki County District Attorney Sandy Williams retaliated against Tratner's defense by reading a statement that Tratner gave to Maquan police after his arrest. He talks about how Sin Lam is tired and went upstairs to take a nap. I began to wash some dirty dishes. Then Sin Lam came shouting at me, telling me the divorce will be final in two months. I grabbed hold of her, and she looked at the kitchen counter where the knives were. I went absolutely berserk and slammed her head multiple times on the floor and I hit her over and over again. I completely panicked and could not believe what I did. I dragged her back to the couch. I could hardly sleep all night. I knew 100% that she was dead. Tratner also confessed to leaving sleeping pills next to Sin's corpse to make her death look like a suicide. Another statement attributed to Stephen Tratner. I totally overreacted. I beat her and killed her in a fit of rage. Judge Wolfgram said, If someone is hitting you and beating you, 
you are going to want them to stop. This is just an example of Mr. Tratner's lack of empathy. His actions were selfish. His actions deprived the children of their mother. There is no question to the severity of this. And who is responsible for this? Stephen Tratner is. 100%. Thank you for listening to Human Monsters. Bye for now. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.